from Jordan-Hare Stadium to Auburn Arena. From the Plains to the recruiting trail and all points in between. If it's Auburn, we've got it covered. Did I say War Eagle? Or War Eagle. That's it? War Eagle. This is the Auburn Undercover Podcast with Brandon Marcello. Hey everybody, welcome to the Auburn Undercover Podcast. I'm Brandon Marcello, your host today, joined by Keith Niebuhr, recruiting analyst. Every, he does everything. Um, we're back. It's been a couple of weeks. Uh, Keith, lots been been going on. Uh, Auburn's got a new offensive line coach. Um, Auburn is looking for a new defensive backs coach after Marcus Woodson left. Auburn's coaches are on the recruiting trail uh, this week. Really trying to set things up for 2021, but still a few spots left heading into the second signing day and the first Wednesday of February coming up. So I wanted to start off with Marcus Woodson uh, leaving the program for, for Florida state. There were some rumors that he was going to go to Ole Miss, but either way he's gone. Auburn's got to find a replacement, obviously. And I'll discuss a little bit about the process of that myself, but um, how does this affect recruiting going forward here these next couple of weeks? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Marcus was a great recruiter. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Just in this class, uh, Marco Damio, who could play a lot as a as a junior college guy coming in at the cornerback position. Eric Reed, a four-star corner from Louisiana, who Marcus picked up on the first signing day, which was December 18th, and, and beat out Georgia to land him. I mean, Mar- Marcus really, uh, really – I'm trying to find the right term here, but really was an outstanding recruiter. I guess I'll just keep it simple and not not try to come up with some clever thing to say. But, uh, you know, then you go back to last year, and he was instrumental in Auburn landing some of the big guys out of the state of Mississippi. Now, Jaron Handy, who could be a starter at Auburn next year on the D-line. Uh, uh, Charles Moore was a defensive lineman, four-star top 100 recruit, but since transferred. But at the time, that was a big, big, big pickup. And then, obviously, uh, Derek, uh, Derek Hall, right? Uh, who, yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, Brandon. Started some games at the Buck position as right. a true freshman. And, you know, he wasn't the position coach for those three guys, but the area recruiter, every recruitment's a little different. You know this, Brandon. You've been doing this a long time, but every recruitment's a little different. Some, the area recruiter is very, very, very important. I mean, he's the guy. Um, a lot of times, you know, maybe you're just laying the groundwork for the position coach to come in, but uh, in the state of Mississippi, where recruiting is a dogfight because the in state schools really, uh, have such a great track record of keeping those top guys you know, within the borders of that state. Your area recruiter uh, is significant, and Marcus Woodson has all those ties to the state of Mississippi. So that was uh, that was pretty big. I think that was pretty big uh, to be able to have a guy come into your staff that had those ties in Mississippi at a time when Mississippi had a lot of talent. Brandon, some years are better than others. Last year was one of the great years in the last quarter century in the state of Mississippi. And Auburn went in and got three really big guys. So it's a loss. There's no question about that. But Auburn always seems to find a way to get coaches that can recruit. I mean, let's, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is Auburn doesn't really struggle very often on the recruiting trail uh, when you think about it. Now, there's, there's misses here and there, don't get me wrong. But it just feels like they've done a good job with that. So we'll see. I mean, you have a little bit of intel on what direction Auburn may go in. Uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a significant setback for the time being, but you know, 
people forget, you know, I, I know somebody on the on our message board said a lot of people knew about Marcus Woodson, but I would argue when Auburn hired him, I would argue more people didn't know about Marcus Woodson. He was from Memphis. Uh, he'd been in Mississippi, played in Ole Miss, was from southern, the southern part of the state, but he hadn't coached at a big school. Nobody really knew what kind of chops he'd have on the recruiting trail. So, you know, you never really know when you hire a guy. <clears throat> and he turned out to be an outstanding recruiter um, and a well-liked guy. Uh, recruits really click with that guy. So what happens the next few weeks? You know, does Auburn wait it out? And you have a little uh, info on that. Uh, so they're going to have a couple big junior days. They don't really have too many defensive back spots available right now for the 2020 class, like maybe zero. Maybe if they miss on some guys elsewhere, perhaps you could see Auburn saying, well, you know, let's take a look at some of these other positions. Where are the needs at? That would be, to me, the only way you could add somebody to this class. And you've got Wesley McGriff with NFL experience and SEC D coordinator experience. You've got Kevin Steele, the D coordinator. So you've got those two guys. They can handle it. Next two weekends, really more than the 2020 class, are going to be about 2021 guys coming in, uh, the junior class. And there's going to be a lot of top players from Florida, Alabama, Georgia coming to visit Auburn the next couple of weekends. And so, you know, what do you do without Marcus Woodson? Well, fortunately, again, you've got the two guys we just mentioned. So I don't think, and I know I'm talking in circles here, I don't think it's significant at this point. Uh, you know, every week lost is a lost week where you're not building a relationship with somebody. I get that. But Auburn's. 2021 recruiting is just now really getting into the full swing of things. And then after they make the hire, you know, I mean, look, I don't think it's a significant setback. Let's put it that way. I think that the, the timing of it uh, isn't that bad because Auburn's already got probably all the DBs it's going to need for this class. So I don't think it's, it's too bad there, Brandon. Yeah. And as far as a hiring timeline, I, I I've been told by a couple of folks um, that, uh, they're not really in much of a hurry. They're kind of sitting back and surveying the scene. Yeah. There are some names in in mind, but nothing really concrete as to who that uh, leader in the clubhouse would be at this moment as we're recording this on January 23rd. Yeah. Uh, they're leaning toward going ahead and hiring another defensive backs coach because, as we know, Wes McGriff also coaches defensive backs. So there's this thought out there that maybe Auburn could hire someone to help coach the linebackers or the buck or whatever and maybe take some pressure off of someone else like, uh, like, like T-Will or even Kevin Steele uh, as a position coach, so to speak, handling the buck spot. Um, but uh, I've been told that uh, – it sounds as if Kevin Steele's leaning more toward hiring another defensive backs coach to replace Marcus Woodson, but they're in no hurry. So I wouldn't be surprised if a hire is not made until after signing this second signing day uh, in early February. Um, well, but you know, I mean, to watch. yeah, you, I mean, having McGriff and Steele on staff gives you that luxury. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, you know, Wesley's coach corners and safeties. He's been a, a DB coach in the NFL. He's been a coordinator in the SEC. And Kevin obviously has a wealth of experience. Uh, and so, you know, again, the, the key is you know, the building of the relationships. But a lot of it at Auburn goes through the area recruiter. Uh, it goes through the coordinator on that side of the ball. And then the head coach. So, you know, your cornerbacks coach is really just one piece of that. Um, so the question is, Marcus's area, which was Mississippi and then parts of, uh, I want to say Southwest of Atlanta in that region. So they'll have to kind of divvy that up. But again, here's another good, good news scenario for Auburn. The timing again, isn't terrible because, uh, there's only this week and then next week where you can go on the road 
to see underclassmen. And then the whole month of February is a dead period. So you can't have visitors. So no, nobody's going to, you're not going to fall far behind, I guess is what I'm saying. You get somebody in place in a timely manner and then they kind of get back to business in February. And then in March, you start getting kids on campus and, um, you got March, you got, then you got March with spring ball where you have recruits visit for spring practice. Then you got the month of April. Then you got the month of May where you're out on the road as an assistant evaluating players at practices and things like that. And then you got big cat weekend. So I don't think the timing hurts Auburn that bad. I think it would have been worse if Marcus would have left quite frankly. And let's say he left in December and like early December. Well, you picked up Eric Reed after that. Marco Damio could have said, well, yeah, I'm not going there now. So I, mean, I think that I think leaving is never easy and it's there's no great time to leave. But I, I think Marcus, uh, I think it worked out well for both sides, quite frankly. I, I think Auburn's going to be just fine. That made any sense. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Kevin Steele, the defensive coordinator. He, he uh, just signed this week a new three year deal. Uh, uh, Auburn was reluctant to release the, the contract details, and now we know why. Uh, they're wanting to kind of keep it under wraps um, for whatever reason, but I was told they were trying to keep it under wraps. But uh, our sourcing and, and ESPN also reported uh, his new contract is worth $2.5 million per year, which currently would rank him number one in the country as far as assistant coach salary uh, in college football. Now that very well could change because Brent Venables was making 2.2 million and, uh, had the number three scoring defense in the nation at Clemson. And obviously they went to the college football playoff national championship game. So he could be in line for yet another raise. Uh, but you know, Kevin Steele entered 2019 as the fourth highest paid assistant. Uh, Dave Aranda, the LSU defensive coordinator was number one. He has since taken the head coaching job at Baylor. So he's no longer on that list. And now, uh, Mr. Steele goes up to number one. I've been getting questions about whether Auburn kind of tried to step in and give him this contract. So he wouldn't leave for say, you know, LSU where Dave Aranda just left and where, um, Kevin Steele has some connections, obviously. That's where he was before he came to Auburn. My understanding is that there were really no uh, nibbles from from anyone or any, anywhere, and Auburn felt pretty confident with Steele and that, that they were going to get a contract worked out one way or the other um, with a uh, pretty pretty big pay raise. His pay raise is $600,000 uh, a year. Um, if you think about it, uh, I was looking at some of, some of these things. I mean – He's making about what Gene Chizik was making as head coach at Auburn at mm. one point. Uh, assistant coaching salaries have changed quite a bit, and uh, especially in the SEC. I mean, you you look at that list, and it's just a lot of SEC guys near the top of the list. And now Kevin Steele, who I mean, who would have thought? Who would have thunk it? Because I mean, there was a time when you know before LSU, you know, when Kevin Steele was at Clemson, and you know he got fired. Um, you know, after that orange bowl and, you know, and now he's, you know, the richest assistant coach in, in college football and a, you know, a guy that frankly, a, a lot of people were kind of behind the scenes kind of pushing for just in case something happened with Gus Malzahn to potentially be the interim coach or uh full-time head coach. If, if Gus Malzahn were to leave or, or get fired or whatever, but obviously that that wasn't going to happen, but 
Kevin Steele, well-liked within the athletics department, well-liked at Auburn. I know Kevin Steele really likes it at Auburn. And then listen to this. He is the longest tenured defensive coordinator at Auburn since Wayne Hall, who hmm. was fired in 1995. Um, so yeah. they, Auburn's gone through a lot of defensive coordinators. That's a great uh, stat. These last 25 yeah. years. And uh, Kevin Steele entering his fifth season is the longest tenured coordinator since Wayne Hall. So pretty Br- interesting. Brent, I got to ask you something. I was thinking about this uh, this morning. Of the richest people I know, Kevin Steele's probably in the top 10 now. What about you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Gus is up there. I got, I got a friend that's in, t- in uh, Texas that's got a software company worth over a billion dollars. Okay, he's number one. He runs away Goodness with Goodness gracious. But when you, yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, yeah. But when you start thinking about the richest guys you know, I mean, he's got to be up there, right? I remember as a kid, and I don't know how it was in Auburn. And Brandon, you you grew up in Arkansas. Were you in Fayetteville, or or what area were you? Yeah, in? Yeah, I was in Fay. I was in a, okay. a little town called Farmington, which was a suburb okay. of Fayetteville. Well, I remember being a little kid in Gainesville, Florida, and 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 knowing that assistant coaches back in the in the eighties yeah. lived in a some of them lived in apartment in complexes. A, yeah, they lived. Uh, they, some yeah. of them lived in uh, student housing. Yeah, um, I remember <laughs> JB Grimes telling me stories about how he used to do that. Um, the former Auburn offensive line coach at previous stops. Well, Kevin, you know, is interesting because he's got all those ties to the state of Alabama, loves the state of Alabama, you know, son of a high school coach. And I, I think that's one of the reasons, if I'm going get, to get off track, I think it's one of the reasons why, though, he gets along so well with high school coaches. I right. have so many high school coaches tell me they love Kevin Steele, including the coach down at Blunt High School in, uh, in Eight Mile down in the Mobile area where they yeah. landed five-star uh, defensive tackle Lee Hunter. They love Kevin. He just knows how to talk to him. And so I think when Kevin was a kid, his dad was a coach at Gordo High School up near Tuscaloosa. He coached all over the place. And yeah. it's really just a – it's got to be really cool. Uh, but it also illustrates the money is just insane at the college level right now. And you wonder, you wonder will the bubble ever burst? It'll have to. Yeah, it'll have to at some I point. Mean, and I think it'll all be tied yeah. to this image and likeness stuff. And yeah. Player pay and all that stuff—that's down the road in the next five yeah. years or ten years, whatever. But I mean, you like you said, you just look, just look in the last five years and then look at the last ten years. And as you said, like twenty years ago, if anybody had told me that an assistant would have been would have been paid eight hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars, you know, twenty years ago, I would have said you're insane. And now they're yeah. getting paid over two million. Now, you know, on uh, the other hand, he, he he does so much with the defense. I mean, as a head coach, if he's your defensive coordinator. You really don't have to worry about too much. No, well, he's going to, you know, he's going to handle the personnel. He's going to handle the recruiting. Yeah. He's going to do all that. So, you know, on that, um, if you look at it that way, you see that the incredible value that Kevin Steele brings to a program. Yeah, that's the one area. Like, you know, listen, uh, everybody talks about Gus Malzahn being a micromanager. Not, not with the defense. He lets Kevin Steele do whatever he wants to do over there. He trusts him implicitly to run his staff, run the personnel, run recruiting. Um, and Gus Malzahn's kind of the you know overseer of the offense, as we all know, and is very hands-on with receivers and recruiting and who they recruit and who they don't recruit, um, which will be interesting. And I want to talk to, about this briefly yeah. Pete, before we talk more recruiting. Uh, finally, this this week, uh, you know, Gus Malzahn said publicly what we've been reporting since December uh, that Chad Morris will call the plays on offense. He will run the offense this upcoming season. Um, you know, I, I wrote in three things. I know three things I think this week, you know, sure. That'll be the case. But if things go South, don't think for a second, Gus Malzahn is just going to stand by and say, uh, keep, keep calling the plays. 
because uh, <laughs> we've seen this for, well, with Chip Lindsay and Rhett Lashley. Gus Malzahn will get involved. And any head coach who's got offensive background, they usually do get involved if things go wrong. Now, what if things go really, really right? Does Gus Malzahn dabble a little bit into it more than maybe he should? I don't think so. But having said that, um, I, I think it's a good move to to give Chad Morris the, the, the play calling reins, even though Gus Malzahn has flip-flopped on this whole idea of whether he should call plays or give it to an offensive coordinator these last three years. And, you know, what was it, nine months ago, he said it was a mistake that he ever gave up play calling. And here he is now going, hey, I'm going to give it back up. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, listen, I guess it just kind of shows you in coaching, don't ever count anything out. Brandon, I just remember I was a young reporter and and I, I was interviewing Steve Spurrier for something. And if you could get him alone, he would give you so much insight. And I just I vividly remember him telling me in a one-on-one that he never wanted to be one of those CEO coaches. And and basically what he was saying was he never wanted to be another Bobby Bowden. Now, Bobby yeah. Bowden, as a young coach, had been an innovator, a, a, a true innovator. I think running the Veer at West Virginia and then, you know, at Florida State in the 70s and 80s, they were that was a wide open team, probably the most fun and entertaining team to watch in college and, football. And then trick plays, man. That's um, right. Really and, got, but, yeah. but, but as you get older, as your as college football got bigger and more important and the became commercials you had to do and speaking engagements, it became more than just about the game. Then all of a sudden the head coach's time and demands really just, just exponentially grew. And so it became more and more difficult. And, and I think he was actually more poking fun at Mac Brown than Bobby Bowden, quite frankly, who he always had some heat with. But the point was he said, Hey, I would never be one of those guys. And, and to me that illustrates the difficulty of a guy like, or for a guy like Gus Malzahn to build something to create an offense, to have it so many years and some years better than others. But when it doesn't work, you have that next year to rebuild it, to get it back and, and, and trying to be creative and all that. And then all of a sudden you're just handing it off to somebody else. And it's got to be just incredibly difficult. Now, it, you know, look, rightly or wrongly, uh, you know, he gets a lot. Well, how do I say this? A lot of the criticism he's received has been deserved. Some of it maybe has been a little bit too much, but Right. I think you have to empathize with a guy who has cut his teeth on offense all these years and is now giving it away to somebody. And you wonder, is it going to be, uh, is it going to be kind of like a relief for him? Or is it going to be, like you said, four games into the season, he's going crazy. And, you know, we've seen him go through yeah. this before. How, this is a different situation. Obviously, you and I have talked about this in past podcasts, though. He sees Chad more as a co-equal than as a guy that he's mentoring too. I mean, let's yeah, this is a lot different than the Chip Lindsay and, De- and definitely the Rhett Lashley eras, where this is a guy that they've known each other for twenty plus years. I mean, he knew Rhett Lashley since he was his coach in, in high school, but this is different. He sees them. I mean, they're they're near the same age. They have adopted the same system. You know, Chad Morris respects the heck out of Gus Malzahn, and he credits Gus Malzahn with helping him. Really, he adapted Gus's offense while he was a high school coach in Texas and became uber successful, and their careers have kind of paralleled since then. And and they've been close friends ever since. I mean, heck, even at I remember uh, SEC spring meetings last year when, when Chad was the head coach at Arkansas. They were hanging out at night, you know, the, their families and everything. So there will be some trust there. But, you know, business is business, and if things don't go right or you don't agree with something – uh, friendships be damned, man, because it, it oh, can yeah. get vicious sometimes in those 
in those meeting rooms. It just it just can. Especially that's that's why these coaches get paid so much money. They're getting paid money to make hard decisions, and they have to fend for themselves a lot of the time. So I'm not saying, hey, worst case scenario, expect that with Gus Malzahn. I'm just telling you, listen. Just because Chad Morris is going to be calling plays and he's running the offense does not mean Gus Malzahn's going to be like, hey, you're my new Kevin Steele, but for offense, you just run it and go, and I'm going to go over here and be a CEO. That's not how it's going to be. More than anything, they're going to be co-coordinators. Yeah, I mean, I think anybody that's ever worked for a friend or with a friend <laughs> can probably tell you that it's uh, it's not always cracked uh, what it's cracked up to be. You know, it's it's a unique challenge, and this will be certainly that, but I think, you know, look, I was told, and I, I think we've talked about this, Brandon, I think you heard the same thing, that Gus just felt like the timing was perfect, that, that it was yeah. wearing him down trying to run the team and run an offense at the same time. And it had kind of run its course, and he knew that. And, you know, I, I, sometimes it's a hard, sometimes things that you know are true in your life can be the hardest things to admit to yourself. That's you know very what I mean? true. And I, That's and, very and true. I think that, that I think he the fact that Chad came available helped him admit that, that maybe this was the, the right time. I mean, that's the thing. Sometimes you just tell yourself, no, I'll be all right. And we'll, we'll, I'll keep doing what I do. And this is what's always worked. I mean, we all face things like that in life. Heck, I, I've well, been putting off surgery yeah. for two years and I finally got it done in this earlier this month and it scared me, but I got it done. But look, you've been looking, look at Gus, you know, I, I, I remember talking to him this summer and I think we've talked about this before. He was talking to me. He's like, how old are you, Brandon? I was like, I'm 35. He goes, man, you're about to hit your peak years. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, he goes, I believe he's, this is what Gus said. He said, I believe in coaching. And he says probably, and it's probably like this in other facets of business and life, your best years in coaching are between the years of 36 and 46. And I was like, that's very specific. And I asked why, and I was like, I go, that's interesting. So you don't think your peak years was when you finally got your first head coaching job at, at Auburn or your big head coaching job at Auburn? He goes, no. He goes, you know, by that time, you know, you used to, you still work tirelessly, but sometimes you just turn the tape off. You don't, you don't stress over something over and over and over and over again because it's kind of passed you by a little bit and not to say Gus Malzahn's getting tired or coaches get tired after the age of 46, but man, you're grinding to get to the mountaintop and get to that spot as a head coach. And once you get there, there's really no sense in trying to kill yourself to get to that point. And I know that's not so you're like, well, this guy's getting paid $7 million a year. But I think the point he's trying to say is you learn everything you need to try to learn. And obviously you keep evolving, but you get the bulk of your experience and cutting your teeth between the ages of 36 and 46 in the coaching industry. And I think for Gus Malzahn, I, yeah, I'll be quite honest, I think he's kind of hitting the twilight of his career. Um, and I know I, I say that and he's pretty young. I mean, he's in his 50s. is not like he's in his upper 60s or anything like that. But listen, Gus Malzahn hasn't made it any secret that he has said, listen, you age in dog years as a as a college football coach. It's like seven years for every season you go through. And I don't think Gus Malzahn wants to be doing this in 10 years. Um, so at some point, if you go, hey, things aren't quite working, or or maybe, hey, I know this can get better and I trust this guy, you, you turn to Chad Morris and go, hey, man, help me fix this thing. Help us update yeah. what we've got. Because I've seen huh. what you do at Clemson with the receivers and everything. Get us to that point. 
I, I think he's smart enough to know that there aren't too many more tomorrows left. Uh, well, I don't mean yeah, living. Yeah. I don't mean in life. I mean, I mean his head coaching situation. You know what I mean? Look, it's getting to that now or never point. Especially and, uh, the SEC. I mean, how many coaches yeah, are ten, yeah. at ten years at a place nowadays? I mean, come on, goodness gracious. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. But I, I you know, and, and and speaking of of Chad, I, I think early on you're seeing, and 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 also the new offensive line coach Jack Bicknell Jr. You're seeing a little bit of a shift in recruiting philosophy, Brandon. I'm going to transition back to that if you don't mind here. Yeah, go for I, it. I, I'm, I'm seeing them in Texas a lot, and and Jason and I have both heard that there's going to be a lot more emphasis placed on the state of Texas. They think that those kids will come to a school like Auburn, that it's not too far away. They're already leaving the state in bunches right now. A lot of them end up, uh, the top ones have ended up at Ohio State and, and Alabama and LSU and schools like that, and they think, well, why not us? And now you've got a couple of guys with, with strong traction strong connections in the state of texas and so we'll see if that pays off or not but the last few days they've certainly been in that state uh working some guys and and one of the guys they're working for the 2020 class that that still isn't complete yet is a tight end from mckinney texas brandon frazier who officially yeah. visited last weekend yeah uh you know was committed to arkansas when chad got fired at arkansas he, he decommitted a couple days later now it looks like it's an auburn texas tech battle he's officially visiting arkansas this weekend but I, it doesn't seem like that's going to happen, but Texas Tech, you know, I put in a crystal ball pick for Auburn a few weeks ago, and since then we've learned that Texas Tech is way more in this than anybody thought and, and maybe even positioned to, to, to rip one away from Auburn. Proximity to home, significant. Both his parents have ties to West Texas. Uh, and uh, so Auburn's in for a real battle here. Now, the good news is Auburn already has some pretty good tight ends. Uh, they, they think. And yeah, Luke I, th- Deal, I, think, Tyler oh, I, th- Fromm, I think so, too. Yeah. Jeremiah Pagese. However, I know that, that they really want this kid because they think he is the guy that can really, really stretch the field in the vertical passing game uh, for Auburn. Uh, if they can get him, he's six feet seven. He's 249 pounds. He's he's wiry. Nice. Look, wow. Looked a little yeah. less than that, to be honest with you. But he runs very well for someone his size. And they think he can really they can really do something with him immediately. Um, so whereas the other tight ends all do certain things really well that they have, they feel like this guy would bring a new dimension. So they're fighting tooth and nail for him, but it's going to be a, it's going to be a battle to the end. It looks like. Yeah. Auburn's only, if I recall, they've only had like half a dozen guys come from the state of Texas on scholarship in Auburn history. Uh, well, I you got recall. a couple, couple this cycle. That's what's interesting. Yeah, that, Marco Damio's one, right. Chris Thompson safety that right. has a good chance to play a lot as a true freshman from, uh, where's he from? Duncanville, Texas. So they're they're working yeah. that hard, and uh, you know before before Cam Martin came on board three four years ago, it, it was almost a never happened, and and uh, now it's 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 incredible. I think it was well, like before Cam Martin came on board, I think it was like six players, something like that. I have to go well, back and look. But it, Texas A and M moved to the SEC for money and for to create its own identity and to get away from Texas. And what's happened is <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually helped the rest of the SEC. Well, it's opened the floodgates. Yeah, it's helped the rest of them more than Texas A&M. I'd be interested you know? to – you probably know more than me, and I'm not sure Auburn fans care, but I'm sure LSU's getting in there quite a bit. Oh, yeah. Well, they always have. You know, Houston's yeah. really close to – you know, Houston's right. not deep deep into Texas. Oh, you, just go, you just get yeah. on I-10, man. Yeah, exactly. And then you got that the, – the, what is it, the panhandle of Texas? Is that what it's called? The northeast corner that's right, right. on the Louisiana border. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, Alabama's gone in there. Ohio State is really the school. I know they're not in the SEC, but they're really the school that is – done some serious damage there but there's a lot of good players in that state now uh, you know i was looking this thing up yesterday looking up uh, about a, the top 100 or so guys in that state a lot of quarterbacks a lot of running backs a lot of receivers a ton of receivers a lot of linebackers not many defensive linemen 
And that's interesting. I saw, I think there were two defensive tackles ranked in the top 150 in the state of Texas for next year. Wow. And that, that shows you right there where the struggles are for the schools in that state. Yeah. If you're not, if you don't have big time defensive tackles in your recruiting footprint, you're going to give up a lot of points. That's crazy. <laughs> you're you're going to struggle. So they have to go elsewhere. But Texas, what's Texas known for? Great quarterbacks, quarterbacks great running, running backs, backs, great receivers. Yeah, there yep. you go. So that's where you could see Auburn really make uh, a dent potentially. Now, uh, they've got a, a young man coming in, a five-star offensive tackle, not this weekend, but next weekend, Tommy Brockermeyer. He's a five-star tackle. His brother's a four-star center. Their dad is Blake Brockermeyer, one of the great University of Texas players ever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they're coming in next weekend. They're going to do a Bama Auburn road trip and Bama. They're very high on Bama, but they went to the iron bowl, quite frankly, to watch Bama and left incredibly impressed with Auburn, the atmosphere at Auburn, the community and the people at Auburn. And now Auburn's a real factor there. Now, are they still sort on the outside looking in maybe, but another good visit uh, could be significant there. And also they've got to click with Jack Bicknell, the new offensive line coach. I believe he was at right. their school yesterday but because they're juniors, he can only say hello. He can't they like say you can't. Yeah, yeah, he can, yeah, yeah, he can't say let's let's go get lunch and then and then they're gone for four hours. I mean, you can't right. do that. I'm, I'm sure it happens, but uh, but, but you, you can't do it. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying I'm sure it happens with Auburn. Let me let me be clear there. But uh, people but, uh, bend the rules. Oh my god! What? Oh my god! I'll never forget. I, I will never to the day I die. I will never tell anybody which which coach it was. But I <laughs> I saw somebody spring practice a Montravius. This is a real scoop here, by the way, Brent. Spring oh, practice, spring, spring year of Montravius Adams junior year. And I will say it wasn't Auburn. It wasn't Alabama. And, and it wasn't Georgia because those are the, the two other fan bases that give me the most grief. But uh, but we'll just say a, a, a coach at one of the big schools and this is, the, I think, the statute of limitations of past year, Brandon. Uh, <laughs> I went to go meet Montrevis. It turns out that he, that's the day he told me to come. I, so I said, all right, I'll come. I get to the school. There's nobody at the school. It was spring break. But yet, he was meeting with uh, a coach. He was a, a college coach was there to, quote, unquote, just say hello to him. <laughs> so, so, you know, hey, look, I mean, it happens, right? Uh, but no, uh, so, but the Brocker Myers, uh, they'll be at Auburn next weekend. Now, they're going to miss the Kentucky basketball game. They're going to be coming in right after that, but uh, their father tells me that's no big deal. They're not big basketball fans anyway. Now, you'd like to show off that atmosphere, but yeah. it means different things to different people. They're there because they want to learn about the football. They got to get to know Big Nell better. They got to get to know Chad Morris better, Gus better, but their first experience was really good. And those are two Texas guys. So, I mean, uh, we've seen Chad Morris in Texas this week. We've seen Jack Big Nell in Texas this week. Wesley McGriff. Uh, the defensive backs coach, he was in Texas yesterday. Wow, so, wow. you know, now he was there, as far as I know, one of his visits was to see Marco Damio, who's already signed. Right. I mean, he's okay. already signed with okay, Auburn, yeah. but he was yeah. at Blinn. And, and quite frankly, Blinn's probably got younger guys. They have guys every year. Certainly. All the top JUCOs do. Um, it's my, unfortunately, it's my job to figure out who he was there to see. But that's three coaches in Texas in the same week and that, that we know of. Uh, so it sounds like there's going to be more of an emphasis there. And maybe what you do is, Look, you know that Alabama and Georgia, those two states are going to be your bread and butter of the footprint. Florida is the third, the third state. And you've got Mississippi, but some years Mississippi's better than others, right? Louisiana is always going to be tough. Those kids, if, if it's an elite guy, they're going to LSU or probably Bama. Uh, although Auburn did get uh, a four-star corner, Eric Reed, out of the northern part of that state this year. But by and large, that's a tricky state to get guys out of. So maybe you say, look, in strong years in Texas, Let's make that this year's Mississippi. In other words, what Mississippi was to Auburn last year, maybe Texas yeah. becomes that to them 
in this 2020 cycle, or I guess we're now the 2021 recruiting classes is next up. I, I can't even keep track of it all, but, uh, so we'll see. You, you got to go where the talent is, but you also have to be realistic about it too. If you go to California, you have to know who are you going to get there. You could get a quarterback there because, quite frankly, a lot of these quarterbacks have money to go to camps all across the country. So mommy and daddy could probably afford to go see him at Auburn. Yeah. But a lot of kids. I mean, let's put it this way, Brandon. Could you have afforded to go to UCLA? I couldn't. Heck, have. no. Yeah. I mean, my parents. Are you kidding me? I went to school nine miles from my house. Yeah, okay? me too. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, <laughs> so. And, and I, this is not a, a picking on kids for any kind of socioeconomic situation. They right. come from. It's a reality. So right. you have to be realistic with it. Now, up north, let's say, you might be able to get a kid out of New York because he doesn't have a lot of options. But a kid in California has yep. got a lot of options. So, yep. so maybe you stick to Texas, Florida, Georgia, Alabama. When there's players in Mississippi, when there's players in South Carolina. I still think South Carolina, you can get guys out of there. But the problem now is that Clemson is so good. Yeah, man. And, and, and for – all of Will Muschamp's faults and his record as a coach, as a head coach, ain't great, let's be honest. But he is a very good recruiter. Those two schools are not letting an elite guy out of that state. Maybe Georgia could get somebody because it's right there on the border almost. But, you know, you have to be realistic. North Carolina, possibly. You know, Tennessee, you can get a guy in Chattanooga. Obviously, they've done that. You can get a guy in Nashville. So you have to be really smart about who you're putting effort into. You know, you really have to be smart. Yeah. Florida's there for the taking, I think, right now. But the yeah. coaching changes at, at, at the coaching change at FSU is going to help them. I'm pretty sure yeah, of that. It's going to be interesting with that staff. Um, yeah, we're gonna, Miami's. We're, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say we're going to wrap things up right after these messages. Yeah, you talked about uh, recruiting the state of Florida. Uh, I'm interested to see how that new staff there at Florida State does. Uh, very. Uh, uh, I wouldn't say rambunctious, but uh, you know, it's a it's a younger staff and one that's it's a little bit of a different flavor than Florida State's had in recent years, or actually in it, a long yeah, time. Yeah, it, it is, and and uh, you know, it reminds me. Well, it's one of those staffs. They don't have a ton of big name guys on that staff. It, but it's guys the head coach feels comfortable with, mm -hmm. and if he feels comfortable with them, look, these guys. Kenny Dillingham had no connections to Auburn at all, and Zero. he came in and he recruited just fine. He recruited just fine. Now, you know, is it different for a guy from Scottsdale, Arizona, talking to somebody in Asilla, Georgia? Yeah, of course. But that's what these guys are. That's what they do. They 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 talk to people. They get to know people. Uh, they're not just coaches. They're 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 salesmen, and I don't mean that in the negative connotation. But they they have to talk to get to know a wide range of people. So I think that staff's going to be fine, and I think it's uh, probably going to be good for for Florida and Miami too because they're going to have to up their game now. They're going to have to – like if you're Dan Mullen right now, you, you've had the last couple of years basically to yourself in that state, right? And now you've got now you've got FSU coming in, and they've got some a real vision to sell, an exciting vision. Now, will they meet that potential? We don't know. But I, I, it really yeah. changes the dynamic in that state. Two former Auburn offensive coordinators, now the offensive coordinators at two of the three big schools in yeah. Florida. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Rhett Lashley yeah. at Miami and uh, Kenny Dillingham well, at Florida State. hey. And Rhett Lashley, and I remember when he got hired, um, I, you know, I went on the Miami podcast down there with Andrew Ivins with our Miami site. And I said, look, this guy can recruit. And, and Brandon, you and I both know him really well. You may know him better than I do. Uh, he can recruit. Kids can relate to him. Rhett is an ultra-confident guy. Not cocky in any way, but confident. He believes in himself. He is a guy that really has done an outstanding job of talking to all kinds of kids. Uh, you know, he, look, 
Jarrett Stidham had the connection to Gus Malzahn through Arp Riles, but Rhett Lashley was really the one that finished off that recruitment and got to know him so well. Uh, Rhett was very big with Rock Thomas. You know, we laugh about Rock Thomas now because he never panned out at Auburn, but that was a five-star recruit. He beat out Lane Kiffin for it, okay? They wanted him. He was significant with, um, with Carrion Johnson as well. Now, you could say, what about the QB evaluations? What about, you know, going after Tyler Queen over a guy like Lamar Jackson? Well, those, yeah. those, weren't, his, those weren't his decisions, okay? Yeah. And, and I don't want to knock the head coach too much. I mean, these are all – these are staff decisions, but the head coach makes the final call on offensive offers at Auburn. At least that's how it was up to now. So, um, so that would be the one question mark. But, you know, already Rhett is knocking it out of the park down there recruiting, getting this kid from Houston, the quarterback – solves uh, answers a big question with Miami because quite frankly as bad as their offensive line was last year they Man. did get a lot of in- inconsistency at the quarterback position quarterback if, spot was so bad I yeah thought. and I know people like you know, Jaron Williams did some good I, things here or there mm. but but in today's ever-changing game if yeah. you're going to have a quarterback that's not that elusive yeah you got to play behind a better offensive line that it wasn't yeah. a good combination no like, it Jaren, wasn't Jaron Williams would have been like at Georgia with Georgia's offensive line okay or, sure but with but with Miami's Maybe. offensive line, no. With Auburn's <laughs> offensive line, probably a struggle. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. But uh, but yeah. So I think I think Miami's making some moves, and uh, uh, you know, Florida State's making some moves too. But uh, not only does Florida State though, Brandon Hafton, and we don't want to talk too much about that. But not only do they have to get an influx of talent in there, they got a bunch of four stars on that roster. But they got to fix the culture. Develop, they, man. Have, yeah. they have forgotten how to win. Yeah. They have just forgotten how to win and be tough. You know, put your, they just, it's something's lost there. And that doesn't happen overnight. No. Fixing that doesn't happen overnight. Now, if if he does fix it overnight, we'll look out. Look out because kids, kids like that school and they like Miami. They want a reason to go there though. (laughs) You know, it's just going to go to go. Yeah. You got to, I mean, they they need to see something here. You know, these ain't the same FSU and Miami teams that that a lot of us grew up watching, you know. Yeah, I and mean, that's uh, to me that's Dan Mullen's state until someone pro- proves me differently here. Um, that's well, why you you're know, seeing so many changes. Yeah, he's got to now. Look, he's proven that he can win games the last two years, but now they've got to really kind of up their recruiting, and and mm-hmm. they have this this last class, this 2020 class, they have. But it's got to continue to rise. Otherwise, I mean, let's put it. Let's be honest. Georgia isn't going anywhere. No. Tennessee, Tennessee looks like it's on the move. Uh, you know, we'll see. They still got to beat somebody that, with a pulse, yeah. but they're, yeah, they're they, headed, they hit, I, they ended the season I, with six straight wins yeah. against pretty much no one, but well, still, that's what they, yeah, that's what they used to do in the nineties. They'd wrap it up with Kentucky Vanderbilt and middle, <laughs> and middle Tennessee. But you know what though, when you lose to Georgia state, then, then beating those team, any team is significant. So they're heading in the right direction. So give credit where it's due, but then Alabama's probably not going anywhere. LSU is going to be around. Texas A&M looks like it's getting better. Auburn is Auburn. So, you know, if you're Dan Mullen, you, you know, you, yeah, ten and eleven wins is very nice, but can you can you take the next step? So many people have predicted it. it, it we'll yeah, see. We'll see. You know, it's, it's easier said than done. You know. Okay. And then, and then you got Clemson out there, Brandon, recruiting anybody and everybody they want in the South, pulling guys away from the Auburn, Alabamas, and Floridas of the world, so. especially receivers. Uh, it's so all right. Competitive, yeah. I want to I want to close that with yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Five star tackle Broderick Jones committed to Georgia. He's visiting Arkansas and Illinois and. Auburn's still in the mix. What's going on with him? He's the big diamond out there that everybody's wanting to look at heading into this second signing day. Well, he wasn't going to visit Arkansas, but he, he heard that you were you were laboring after having surgery. <laughs> it felt like he put a smile on your face. But uh, so they, Ar- they need Arkansas, about twenty of him at Arkansas. Well, well look, it, it went well. Uh, all 
everything we've heard is that visit went well. He really liked Sam Pittman, the head coach there, the, you know, obviously who he committed right. to when he was the O-line coach at Georgia. Brad Davis, uh, a well-liked offensive line coach, is now at Arkansas. That went well. At the end of the day, though, you know, that seems like that's going to be a tough pull for them. Uh, he's at Illinois this week. He's uh, uh, built a strong connection with that staff, and he, he returned the favor by giving them an official one. Realistically, Illinois probably doesn't have a shot with him, but it's nice that he's taking that visit because well, because he wants to that. see he wants to see Lovey Smith's beard up, well, up close yeah. in person. But you know, but but for Illinois, that's a nice favor to do for them because now they can sell that. Look, guys, look what we're building. Five yeah. stars from Georgia are now visiting us. You have to take incremental steps sometimes. I mean, you know. So anyway, but we think it's going to come down to Auburn and Georgia. They both were at his basketball game last Friday night. You know. Um, Matt Luke is now his lead recruiter at Georgia, the new O-line coach, formerly the head coach at Ole Miss. They've hit it off early. Uh, he doesn't really know Jack Bicknell, Auburn's new O-line coach, that well, but he told me a couple nights ago that's not significant yet because he's so close with Larry Porter, uh, who yeah. is his lead recruiter for Auburn. In fact, he says, Larry Porter, I'm closer with than any coach recruiting me. Uh, Del McGee, uh, Georgia's ace recruiter, has gotten involved in that recruitment. I mean, oh, don't, be- don't, mention, don't mention that to Auburn fans. They're gonna go, oh, he's gone. Well, it's going to be a tough one. There's no (laughs) doubt. Visiting Georgia this weekend, visiting Auburn next week, and Auburn gets the final visit. Uh, You know, he said as recently as uh, this week, like, you know, it's it's very tight between Auburn and Georgia. Uh, A few weeks ago, some sources told me, one source in particular, that it was maybe 60-40 at Auburn that time. It now seems like Georgia's kind of got a little bit of momentum again. Uh, But nobody really knows. I think a lot of people are guessing. I think if you're Georgia, though, it's hard to flip a kid from Georgia, and, and I think yeah. they know that, and they've got the visit this week, and he's going to be there. It's not just a visit. They're going to have a lot of their guys there, a lot of their commits, signees, all that stuff, so he's going to really get the bond with those guys. Uh, so that, we'll see how they feel coming out of that visit. I'm inclined to think, and I know Auburn fans don't want to hear this, but I mean, you've got to take this guy away from Georgia. I mean, you know what I mean? I, I just think it's going to be difficult. I'm thinking maybe slight edge to Georgia at this time, but – Anything's still possible. And if that sounds like I'm hedging, yeah, of course I'm hedging. What, what do you, look, if, if Auburn doesn't know what he's going to do and Georgia doesn't know what he's going to do and people close to him don't know 100% what he's going to do, it's impossible for me to know. Okay. Well, let me throw a hypothetical at you. Let's put that way, but let I, me throw I, I think it's going to be hard, though. Yeah. Let me throw a hypothetical at you. Let's say he wasn't an offensive tackle and he's a defensive tackle and Rodney Garner was recruiting him. Yeah, well, I mean, look, uh, Rodney Garner's got a very <laughs> – very good track record of recruiting against Georgia. Uh, yeah, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. I mean, Georgia's a recruiting juggernaut, no doubt about it. But Auburn's no slouch. You know, they're putting together top – I mean, Gus Malzahn's average class is in the top ten since he got to Auburn. And by the way, I'll say this, speaking of big, uh, big news, Brandon, while you were, while you were gone, uh, Jay Hardy, uh, who was committed to Auburn, committed to Auburn in, just in uh, excuse me, November over Tennessee, finally – kind of admitted, hey, I've already signed with <laughs> I already signed with Auburn. I just what he wanted to do was he wanted to wait until February to be able to quote unquote sign with all his friends and teammates. But once Tennessee got wind that he wasn't going to Tennessee, it sort of got leaked out to the media and, and then stories were written. But that look, Auburn's got a very good defensive line hall. Uh, and I know we're turning turning the page here to a new subject, but I will say this and I put this on the board, Zakevius Walker, who Rodney Garner beat out yes, Georgia for yeah. 
Uh, I've got a very good, respected scout telling me this guy's a top 15 to top 20 prospect in the country. You've been, and he's already you've, on campus at all. You've been high on him for as long as I can remember well, talking about him well, yourself. Brandon, you look at the guy. He looks like a Greek god for starters. Okay, You start with the eye test. I, I ain't no coach. Okay, Rodney Garner. What I know compared to him, you could fit into a thimble, okay? Right. But you start with the eye test. He's, he's got that. He looks looks great, okay? And, and then you say, okay, quickness, does he have that? Yes. Strength, natural strength, yes. He's got to get bigger uh, and get more uh, weight room strength. But the natural strength's here. Change of direction, which Garner always talks about. Oh, yeah. Whenever I've interviewed him, COD, COD, change of direction. This kid's got it. He plays tight end, so he's athletic. He can jump up to catch a ball. He can go down low to catch a ball. That's a display of physical flexibility. Again, I always tell people this. I, I learned this a long time ago. I went to a Bucks game in the early 2000s when I worked in Tampa. And I remember being there real early and Warren Sapp's out there warming up before the game, before anybody else. And he's doing toe touches a foot above his head. And Warren Sapp was one of the, <laughs> Warren Sapp had one of the sloppiest looking bodies you've oh, ever dude, seen. Oh, dude, his belly, man. Oh, my God. But what that showed was – now, look, he played harder than anybody else too, by the way. That, that, that was really the key. Warren, nobody's ever played the game harder than Warren Sapp. He could also play with uh, some chaw in his mouth too. But what, yeah, exactly. But what did Warren <laughs> Sapp have? That physical flexibility. You know what? He was yeah. also a high school tight end too, just like Zykevis oh, Walker. There then, yeah. then there's the character issue. They think he's Marlon Davidson 2.0. They think he's a clone character-wise and physical-wise. Nice. And it wouldn't be a shock if he started. Now, look, he could get out there this spring and be totally lost. We'll see. Sure. We, we've seen that happen before, too. But this uh, just somebody they really that, love. That's it's, the thing. That's the class. thing. You know, just real quick, yeah. you know, like yeah. people downplay spring practice. But that's why I like spring practice, because of these freshmen that come in. You learn about them very quickly, about whether they're going to be able to contribute and whether they're going to be yeah. a candidate. I mean, you, you really do. Because these coaches will go, ah, you know, we'll see. He's got a lot of development to do. And then usually that, I mean, that, that puts a guy on the back burner immediately going into August. And Well, yeah. I mean, they may know after spring, they may say, well, you know, he's still got a long way to go. But right. look how far he went in three weeks. Right. If, if, if this trajectory keeps up, this guy's going to be playing a lot. So I, I think guys like him coming in and, uh, you know, obviously Jay Hardy doesn't get there till the spring. And I think they're going to yeah. land a couple, speaking of recruiting, I think Auburn's in good shape to land a couple of junior college defensive linemen, Marquise Burks, a tackle, and DeAndre Butler, an end slash tackle. He's about 280, 285, so depending upon how he grows. But uh, I think there's going to be a lot of competition. They're losing some studs. There's no doubt about Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Auburn feels pretty good about the future on the D-line. They This class, which early November, Brandon, I was like biting yep. my nails over. How am I going <laughs> to? Not not because I cared so much, but because how am I going to spin this to the readers? Well, that they, like, they, what am I going to talk about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, they hit, they're signing a bunch of guys that I don't think are any good. I mean, I, I, I'm not exactly Mr. Spin here. I'm, that's not my strength, okay? So, but now you look at this class and, and there's some real talent there. Yeah, they got and some suppose, Yeah, the word is, and, and I talked to somebody this morning, in fact, that Zykevis Walker and Romello Height. Now, Zykevis Walker's a strong side end, I should point mm -hmm. out. And Romello Height, a buck. Uh, who they flipped from Miami at the last minute. And right. uh, in fact, uh, after they flipped him, I know he sent an emoji of uh, himself flipping the bird to our Miami reporter. So that was, <laughs> 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 that was interesting. I, I got to tell you, the only times I dealt with him, he was completely polite, but I mean, you know, I, anyway, uh, 
So he, he may end up being a favorite to Auburn fans for doing that. But, but uh, Well, maybe but he so, meant to do two emojis to well, put up the U instead I, I of uh, not. <laughs> But uh, supposedly those two are fitting in well and, and doing everything that's asked of them early. They've really impressed people around the program. Now, granted, they haven't practiced yet, but these are those are good signs. Some guys get there and already in week one, they're, I can tell you right now, there's a guy that transferred away from Auburn in the last couple of years. I'm not going to say his name. He's a good kid. But very early on, they knew what happened to the guy we recruited. Yeah, like what this kid is just—he's acting like kind of a a tool in meetings and things like that. So they knew. Uh, But these two guys, they're—they're seeing some real maturity out of them early, and I think that's probably a good sign. That's good. Well, I think we're going to end it there, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Auburn Undercover Podcast. A lot of recruiting info, a lot of info on. Uh, coaching changes, coaching searches, what's going on with the football program at this time. Football never takes a day off. And, uh, hey, before you know it, spring practice is going to be here. And, of course, the second signing day will be here in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And, and before, you, before you know it, Brandon, Bo Nix's kids are going to be playing for Auburn. <laughs> and you and I are going to be bitching every day about that we're still getting the same pay that we were in 2020. You know, Well, it's, uh, it is journalism. So. No, I'm kidding. Twenty four seven. If they're listening, they they yeah. Twenty four seven does a fantastic that. job with their employees. That's right. That's not, right. And, I, and I'm not lying there. They do. That's right. That is true. That they're is true. they're fantastic. It's a great place to work. Well, um, Brandon, hey, real quick before you you cut us off, I just want to say I know everyone feels the same way. We're glad to have you back, and hope you're feeling great and ready to get some scoop. Yeah, man, I'm back at it, still healing, but uh, man, I feel I feel better and uh, hitting the road running and getting on that phone. It feels good to get on the phone again and talk to people. You know, I don't I don't know when you go about two weeks just texting people, and not wanting to talk to them because you're off work, and then you get back and you start calling people. That's always nice. Love talking to those sources, finding out what's going on. It's it's like it's like being at a barber shop, in a lot of ways reporting is well don't, don't you the think rumors. the best part about being a sports writer essentially brandon is that we're we, we're storytellers yes. at, at, at parties i'm the person that likes to tell a story and that's what this is and i never understood reporters that that love to get the info for themselves and not that, to share it with people well, yeah, and that's, that's just thing. defeated yeah. the purpose to me you know yeah we certainly hear things that we're unable to report but anything that i am able to report i report any yeah. little thing i'll report put it on the body get a message board and you do the same as we see every day you've got nuggets up there about every little thing so that's that's what we're here for man that's what we were trained for and i think you do a great job at it and it's i'm glad to be back and along side you and uh let's get this thing rolling going into the second signing day Sounds good. All right, guys. We'll see you down the road. No one has it covered like 24-7 sports. Go undercover with Auburn Undercover. Undercover.